Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We educate, we connect, we care. We're In Social Work. Hello, everyone. With this episode, I am thrilled to announce that the UB School of Social Work has reached a new plateau for in social work, and we are now having over 3,100 episode downloads each month. We would like to take this opportunity to thank all of you for listening to our podcast series. We truly appreciate your support. I'm Luann Back, your host for this episode. The Council on Social Work Education requires social work programs to assess their implicit curriculum, which includes affirmation and respect for diversity and difference. Yet, microaggressions can and do occur in social work education, which marginalize some students due to their social identities. In this podcast, Dr. Ashley Davis and Dr. Rebecca G. Myrick discuss the dynamics of power and privilege in relation to teaching and social work education with an emphasis on the experiences of conservative students. They describe their research involving students' perceptions of microaggressions within the classroom and provide compelling examples of how conservative students have experienced marginalization and have felt ignored, silenced, or slighted because of their social identities. Their findings emphasize the need for social work educators to carefully examine how their own identities can impact their behavior in the classroom and how we can prepare students to become leaders given the political divisions that currently exist. The episode concludes by considering challenges to creating a more inclusive and affirmative learning environment as well as opportunities to model skills used within the field of social Work. Dr. Ashley Davis is a clinical associate professor at the Boston University School of Social Work, where she teaches social work research and clinical practice. Her research interests include addressing white privilege and promoting anti-racism in social work practice and education. Dr. Davis maintains a private practice for individuals and couples in Arlington, Massachusetts. Dr. Rebecca G. Myrick is an assistant professor at Salem State College School of Social Work, where she teaches clinical practice, human behavior, and research. Dr. Myrick is a research consultant for the Riverside Trauma Center and has worked with children, adolescents, families, and adults in a variety of settings. Her research has focused on client engagement, the scholarship of teaching and learning, and suicide prevention. Doctors Davis and Myrick were interviewed in May 2019 by Peter Sabota, clinical assistant professor here at the UB School of Social Work. Hi, and welcome to In Social Work. I'm Peter Sabota, and today I'm with Drs. Rebecca Myrick and Ashley Davis. And I am very eager, and I've been looking forward to talking to both of you. And I know you've been doing some work on the experiences of conservative students in BSW education. So welcome to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. So before I ask you what you did, could I start by asking you why you decided to research this particular topic? I mean, we all know there are no conservatives in social work. (laughs) (laughs) This is Ashley Davis. Thank you very much for having us. And we're delighted to talk about 
this particular piece of work that we did. But I'm going to back up a little bit because what brought us to this particular study unfolded over several years, actually. So Rebecca and I are colleagues from our doctoral program, and we have been studying and talking about dynamics of power and privilege in the context of social work education for a while now. And this research is a piece of that. So when we were fresh out of our doctoral program, we both took faculty positions teaching in both BSW and MSW programs at schools that really valued good teaching. So it was important to us to think about what constitutes good teaching and how can we continue to improve in our own teaching practice. And we sought each other out because while doctoral students and new instructors know a lot about their content areas, we may not be as familiar with some of the dynamics that will inevitably show up in our classrooms. And so we wanted to think together about how do we navigate those moments and where do we get stuck and how can we support each other? So as we grappled with our own teaching, we paid a lot of attention to the ways that our privileged identities were showing up in the classroom. I identify as a white woman. And so, for example, I was quite aware of the ways that my white privilege was present when I was interacting with students and colleagues. And there were times that I realized that I was either misinformed or had not had a certain lived experience or was misattuned to some of the experiences of my students of color, as well as places where I could challenge my fellow white students more. So I was very aware of these aspects of my own social identity in the classroom. And it was quite a learning process, as I think it is for all of us throughout our time as instructors and humbling to realize mistakes and address them. Sometimes I would realize a moment in the classroom that didn't sit quite right. Sometimes my students brought these moments to my attention, either directly or on course evaluations. And I'm really grateful for the students who took that risk and were willing to speak up, especially because we know that there's a power differential just inherent in the student-teacher relationship, both in terms of my interactions with students as well as my own professional development as an instructor myself. I was really thinking a lot and thinking with Rebecca about how does privilege show up and manifest in teaching. And so we decided to take these private conversations more public and bring them to larger conversations with more colleagues through our research and writing to consider how we navigated these moments. And we realized that what we were describing were microaggressions. We didn't originally label it as such, but it became apparent that that's what we were talking about. I think the word microaggressions is fairly known throughout social work, but for anybody not familiar with this term, it was originally coined by a psychiatrist, Dr. Chester Pierce, in the 1970s, and he originally was referring to racial microaggressions, but the term has since broadened beyond that to include other marginalized social identities. And these are these usually subtle and brief words or actions or things within the environment that convey a sort of hostility or a minimization of people from a marginalized group things that social workers hopefully are paying attention to. And I think it's really important to note that these can be either intentional or unintentional. I think the more recent research that's come out on implicit bias has helped us see that microaggressions sometimes come from an unconscious place in what we either do or fail to do. So in writing about 
our experiences, we quickly realized that we were leaving out the experiences of our students. We wanted to find out how did they experience times when their faculty members may have perpetrated a microaggression. So we sought to investigate this. How did students from marginalized backgrounds experience these moments in their social work education? And we thought about social work education beyond the classroom. So all of those places that we interact with students, advising, more informal settings in the field, and so forth. So what were they experiencing? How were they affected? Did they feel able to address what came up? How did they feel about a resolution when they tried to address these moments? So we did a nationwide survey of BSW students, asking them to describe these experiences. And that's the larger project from which what we're talking about today comes from that, that more broadly defined study of microaggressions. I think it's important to know that we didn't tell students what social identities to focus on. We wanted them to tell us what they experienced and which of their social identities it felt like were being targeted. So we kind of predictably came up with examples where a student felt that because of their race or their sexual orientation, they experienced a microaggression. But we also found this, that quite a few participants described being marginalized because of their conservative beliefs, either conservative religious beliefs or conservative political ideologies. And we were not thinking about that when we started this project. And yet what students were talking about were microaggressions, times when they were minimized or silenced in some way within the context of their social work education. Yeah, thanks for telling us how you got there. I mean, that's what happens when you ask open-ended questions, right? Sometimes you get answers that you hadn't thought of. So would you now tell us a little bit about what exactly exactly did you do in your current project? So this is Rebecca Myrick speaking. So for this project, we wanted to hear from a national group of BSW students about their experiences in the classroom. And because we wanted to hear from a really diverse group of students, we decided to survey BSW students at accredited CSWE accredited social work programs across the country. We wanted to hear from students at different types of institutions, public institutions, private institutions and in different places in the country. So what we did was we emailed chairs and directors of CSWE accredited BSW programs and we asked them if they would share the link to our online survey with their BSW students. So what happened is we received 909 completed surveys back from BSW students from all over the country. In general, this group was primarily female, about 88% female, which is pretty typical for BSW students. About a third were non-traditional students, students who were older than we think of traditionally aged college students being. About almost a third identified as students of color. And 9%, which is actually a little bit bigger than I was expecting, identified as active duty military or veterans with past military experience. And this is where it got really interesting because this group came out of our data who identified as conservative, either because of their religious beliefs or because of their political ideology. And so this was about 27% of this group identified as conservative Christians or conservative politically. And we found that this this group 
was more likely to be white, heterosexual, active or former military. They were more likely to be from the South, if we're thinking about census regions of the United States, and or attending an undergraduate social work program in the South. And they were more likely to identify as living in poverty and or being lower class. Now, for all of these aspects of social identity, we left it open-ended. So socioeconomic status, these are their own words that they responded saying they were living in poverty or being lower class. So in this project, we asked participants an open-ended question. We said, have you had an experience with a social work faculty member in which you felt not represented or slighted due to one or more aspects of your identity? And this is where we got some results we weren't quite expecting. As Ashley talked about, we were really going into this thinking about the experiences of students in social work classrooms who had traditionally marginalized identities. We weren't thinking about students who were Christian or students who were politically conservative because those were not the groups we were thinking about. But what we found was that 29.8% of conservative Christians said yes to this question compared to 18.6% of non-conservative Christians. It wasn't quite significant that P was 0.08, but still there was a real difference here. And some of the examples they gave to this open-ended question where they described this experience were really compelling and made us start to think about this other group in the classroom that we hadn't set out to learn about their experiences, but they had read our question and said, yes, I have had these experiences in the classroom and let me tell you about them. So that's how we ended up with this particular project is really the participants came to us and said, let us tell you about what we've experienced. So we decided if they were going to tell us about their experiences, we would write about this group in the classroom because clearly they would like to be heard. Yes, it sounds exactly so. Yeah. So what did you learn from these folks? This is Ashley. So our study was a mixed method study, and I want to talk about both the qualitative and the quantitative findings. I'll start with the qualitative piece. We conducted a thematic analysis on the stories that they told us and came up with four main themes. I'm actually going to read a quotation from a student to illustrate each of these themes because I think their stories, I'd like to share their voices directly rather than trying to summarize them in my own words. So the first theme was that students had experiences of faculty members making comments that devalued, demeaned, or stereotyped them. So one student wrote, quote, I had a professor this year in my practice class tell us that, quote, religion kills your brain, end quote. Their comments and jabs make conservative students feel like the scum of the earth when we simply want to change the world like everyone else. Christianity is not given the same respect in the classroom as other religions. It is difficult to be a Christian conservative in the realm of social work, especially in the university setting, end quote. So this student is really describing a time when he or she felt devalued, demeaned, or stereotyped. The second theme that came out in our data was that faculty members sometimes used their authority or their position inappropriately. So we can think about all of the ways that a professor has power in selecting what information is presented, in repercussions to a student's grade, all of these different ways. And students describe times when this authority or position was used to marginalize their experience. So one student described, quote, the professor made the statement in class that religious texts and traditions 
must be abandoned in order for society to move forward. I gave the rebuttal that these were rich and important traditions, which was met with hostile opposition as opposed to dialogue from both the professor and fellow students, which lasted 20 to 30 minutes. The professor's reaction to my opinion made me feel as if my academic integrity was damaged, end quote. The next theme was that students had the experience of a faculty member shutting down or otherwise limiting conversation in the classroom. So one student described, quote, she just kind of shut down anyone who didn't think in an ultra liberal mindset, would often let students put down others that didn't think in the same way, end quote. And then the last theme that came out was that professors sometimes made assumptions or had expectations about their students' views, kind of who a social work student is and what their religious or political ideology would be. So this example a student shared came from the day after the 2016 presidential election. The student wrote, Quote, a social work faculty member sent out an email to everyone saying, quote, I know everyone is deeply saddened about the presidential election result, end quote. I just felt like I didn't have an option to be anything but sad. Maybe I was happy. Maybe I wasn't sure what I felt. It just really rubbed me the wrong way. I know the president's beliefs and actions don't line up with the NASW code of ethics, but it doesn't mean I can't have my own personal beliefs on the topic aside from my professional ones, end quote. We also presented students with a number of statements and asked for their level of agreement with different statements about what they experienced in their social work education. And two of these findings came out as statistically significant differences between our more liberal students and our more conservative ones. And these both had to do with being able to speak to one's experience and address situations that come up in the classroom. So conservative students felt less able to call out times when they were marginalized or silenced. And conservative students felt less able to count on their peers to speak up on their behalf. They often felt quite isolated or without allies in the classroom. So altogether, these findings had us pause and really think about what our more conservative students are telling us and what they are experiencing in social work classrooms across the country. Yeah, the statements themselves, they're very raw. They certainly caught my attention. So it sounds like this topic itself, of course, was not what you set out to study, but it sounds like this is where the visceral comments started to come from once you asked. Have you tried to make sense of this or what do you make of this? This is Rebecca Myrick speaking. I think what these findings do is they really go back to where Ashley and I started with this work, which is understanding that our own social identities impact what we say, what we notice in the classroom. And that sometimes because of who we are, we're not always aware of the impact of our words or our actions on our students. Now, this wasn't the group that we set out to study. But when I reflect back on our findings and sort of what we know about microaggressions, I'm not at all surprised by our findings. What our students are saying is we don't feel seen in the classroom and your own social identity in this circumstance for many faculty, a more liberal or less conservative religious or political identity means you don't see us. And you know, it's not really surprising. Social work values tend to be associated with more liberal or left values. But we know there are many students who go to social work programs who don't have these political values or religious values, or maybe even for whom political affiliation isn't simple. So they may have some more conservative and some more liberal beliefs, or they may have no political affiliation. So it's interesting. I think that these findings really are a full circle back to where Ashley and I started. It's interesting when I think about this 
topic or sometimes when I talk to colleagues about this topic, what I hear are stories of more conservative students not being accepting of other students within the classroom, maybe making comments that don't accept their social identity, maybe gender identity and expression or sexual orientation. And maybe that's a piece of the story. It's not an issue that I've had come up frequently or regularly in the classroom. But I think what our students are saying is, or the participants in this study are saying is, yeah, maybe that happens, but that's not the full story. Part of the story is that there is this group of more conservative, religiously devout students in our social work classrooms who may be feeling marginalized or unable to speak up. And, you know, what Ashley was just talking about in terms of the data was that these students said to us that they often don't feel comfortable or safe sharing their perspectives. They maybe feel stigmatized. One of the quotes talks about the professor and the other students disagreeing with them. And I think that's something we really need to pay attention to. Some of the quotations from participants, as you just heard, are very powerful and I think very concerning in terms of how some instructors may be speaking about religion and politics in the classroom. Yeah, and just kind of putting myself in the shoes of that particular student, it sounds like a blatant, overarching assumption about who they are and what their fit is in a profession like this. Mm -hmm, I agree. I think that what we heard from students, especially that quotation about the election, is that they feel instructors are sometimes making assumptions about the beliefs and values of students sitting in their classroom, and they don't feel comfortable speaking up and saying that's not actually true. Right. So this is going to be humbling for many of us who are our faculty members, you know, if we're going to be reflective about what we do. Why do you think this is an issue that social work educators should be concerned about? You've kind of addressed that, but I'd like to see if you'd say a little more. Sure. This is Ashley Davis speaking. I think I might be stating something rather obvious in noting that our country is deeply divided right now. I think that's a bit of an obvious statement to make. And yet I think we need to think about how that then plays out in universities and in social work education in particular. We don't have to look very far to see examples in the news or on social media or in the government about how divided we are politically and religiously. I think it's really important to note that the diversity itself is not what's problematic. It's the polarization and the hostility that come up when political and religious beliefs are talked about. It can make it impossible to have any real understanding or respect across difference. And that's what social work educators need to be concerned about. How do we prepare students to be able to be effective leaders and advocates given the current social and political reality? One thing I've thought a lot about as Rebecca and I have dug into these issues around power and privilege is that the social environment doesn't just happen out there. It happens within our classrooms. Our classrooms are not unaffected by the dynamics of power and privilege. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to comment on based on what you had said before. From an ecological perspective, these boundaries are not that distinct. And given the current reality of, I guess, U.S. society, why wouldn't we think that that would play out in our profession and in our programs? Exactly. This is Ashley Davis speaking. And it speaks to we can't study this phenomenon 
on without also being in it ourselves. And so as instructors, we are charged with the responsibility of how do we think about the implicit curriculum? How do we create those productive and inclusive learning environments where we can be aware of diversity, but also the dynamics around it? And with conservative students, we have a particularly challenging situation. We know that they may be a minority within social work education, and yet these are social identity groups that tend to have access to a lot of sources of power within our society. And I think that's an important tension for us to note and grapple with because it's never just about the numbers. It's really about access and equity. Yes. And if I could, I'd like to invite you to kind of bridge research to practice. And if you are prepared to do this, what you think are some of the more practical implications of what you've learned for social work education? This is Rebecca Myrick speaking. I think about this issue a lot since I'm in the classroom a lot. This is what I do of sort of how do we take what we've learned through research and use it to improve our teaching. And the first part I think about a lot is that as a field, I think we need to be thinking about how we can help our students reconcile their personal beliefs with the professional values of social work. We need to assume that there are many students in our classrooms for whom maybe their personal beliefs and the professional values don't all mesh really well. And we need to accept and acknowledge that these students are there. But the other piece is that in order to engage students in this discussion about how to do this, we need to be able to have these conversations openly in the classroom. And if our more conservative students are silenced, then we're not able to have these conversations. The other piece that I think about a lot when I think about our research findings is that we need to think about how to help social work faculty think about these issues in less polarizing ways. So Ashley just talked about how, yes, the political climate outside of the classroom comes into our classroom in so many ways. And that's true for our students, but it's also true for us as faculty members. And so I really think we need to think about how to allow our conservative students to have a voice in the classroom. The other piece that really stood out to me and that surprised me more was the findings about religion and some of the quotations from participants about how their faculty members talked about religion in the classroom. I think this indicates that we need to have a discussion or do some really serious reflective thinking about how, as social work educators, we think about religion and particularly Christianity within social work education. How do we talk about it? How do we acknowledge that maybe a religion holds some beliefs that aren't necessarily congruent with social work values, but many of our clients and many of us may come from those religions and may really feel very strongly about our religious faith? I think that for faculty members, and maybe I'm just going to speak for myself, I think that I tend to prioritize protecting students and maybe ourselves from microaggressions based on traditionally marginalized social identities. And that's really important. And I think we need to do that. But it's also really important that we avoid stereotyping other groups of students in our lectures, in our comments, in our discussions with students. So to be able to hold both of those things simultaneously, I think that is what our findings are suggesting that faculty really need to be able to do. Yeah, it's a real challenge to us. It's almost like some of us are almost imposing a set of unwritten rules or norms about what social workers real social workers should think and what they believe, and then just calling out nothing but difference related to that. 
Yes, I think that exactly is what a lot of our more conservative participants were saying to us that they experience in the classroom. Yeah, I was also struck earlier when you talked about how to manage bias, but we actually ask all of our students to do that. In many ways, we ask students to become more aware and reflective about the biases that they have as people, and then to develop a discipline of being able to kind of think about that critically, and then overlay that with things like social work ethics and values. But we seem, based on what you're learning, to only do that in things that are more comfortable to us at this point. Yes. We didn't ask the question about sort of when this is done really well, which I think would be an interesting future research study. But I agree. I think that a lot of social work education at both BSW and MSW levels is about us reflecting, students reflecting on our own assumptions. Ashley talked about implicit bias before and thinking about what that means and how we can change the way we're used to thinking. But what some of these students were telling us is that more conservative students are not faced with that challenge in a supportive way, but in a confrontational, you don't belong in social work kind of way. And that's problematic. Yeah, and at first glance, you could walk away with saying, how could we do this? This should be in our blood, but clearly it's not in all cases. What do you think are going to be some of the challenges to implement these findings and these strategies? This is Ashley Davis speaking. I think it is absolutely going to be challenging. Social work educators, we tend to think we've figured it all out, that we know how to do this. And our findings are showing us that we actually don't, that our microaggressions data tell us that we still have a lot of work to do ourselves. Our students are experiencing microaggressions from social work faculty members, and this includes conservative students. I think the fact that Rebecca and I overlooked this group and didn't think about their experience when we anticipated the data we would collect is an interesting piece of this too. And maybe there are other colleagues, other social work educators who also are not yet thinking about religious or political diversity in the classroom, or simply don't know what to do and therefore haven't taken this on. And yet our students are calling us out on that. I think another piece that's whenever I come across something that I find challenging in teaching, I try to make the connection to practice. And I think that can be a real help here because as an applied discipline, we need to be modeling for students what we want them to be doing in the field. And it doesn't mean that we need to have it all figured out or be able to always do it perfectly. And actually students appreciate and learn a lot from the mistakes that we make and the repairs that we engage in. But this is an opportunity to model some really important skills. When I think about this data, I think about how to be inclusive, how to not make assumptions, how to have difficult conversations, how to be self-reflective and aware of my own biases, how to take responsibility for mistakes that I make. If I can challenge myself to model for students what I want them to do in the field, there's a real opportunity there. Our students are looking to us to see what does a social worker do? And for many of these students at the BSW level, we might be their first encounter with a social worker. I often think about what an awesome opportunity and responsibility it is to introduce this profession to students. And part of that is how to grapple with what could be a very polarizing issue right now. And then finally, when I think about the challenges to implementing this is that sometimes we don't have the resources or the support ourselves to know how to work on this. When I go to conferences, I look for opportunities to develop my teaching practice and deepen my skills in this area. And it's not always there. So it can't be an individual faculty member taking this on. We need to have places where we can reflect 
reflect and challenge each other and engage in that lifelong learning as instructors too. Yes, you've kind of hinted at this, but if I could kind of put both of you on the spot slightly here, you've done the work and you've heard these, I think, very humbling statements from students about what they experience. Could you talk about the way that it's changed the way that you teach? This is Rebecca Myrick speaking. I really love this question because I think more than some of the other research that I've done, I really use what I've learned from this research project in my teaching. I try to Fuse it in all of the classes that I teach because it really started me thinking about who's sitting in my classroom and how are they experiencing the lecture or this activity or this discussion. So one example is that one thing I do now when I'm teaching is when the topic comes up of microaggressions or usually when we're talking about microaggressions like in clinical practice or maybe even in research where we're talking about how we ask certain demographic questions, one of the things that I do is I've started sharing some of these findings with students really briefly. You know, I'll say something like a colleague and I did this research and here's who we found about a group who tends to feel marginalized in the social work classroom. What do you think about that? Why do you think some of our students responded to our questions in that way? And sometimes more conservative students will nod along or maybe even share that they felt the same way. More often, more liberal students start considering these issues out loud, which I think is really beneficial for everyone. Our social work students will go on to work with clients from all types of backgrounds. Learning to engage with all types of beliefs and backgrounds is really important for social workers. But I also think it helps them go on in other classes to be more open to different beliefs and maybe allow more conservative students to speak out in the classroom. And, you know, it's really lovely because I know that these students are really thinking about these topics. I taught a year-long course this year and talked about this in the fall. And some of them came back to me in the spring in the few minutes before class when we're chatting and said, you know that study you talked about, about more conservative students? Sometimes we sit in classes and think, Dr. Myrick wouldn't like how you said that. I laughed, but I think it's really important that they're still thinking about these issues and listening to what other people say and thinking, is that inclusive or is that assuming that everyone in this classroom feels the same way I do about this issue? The other thing that I've done is really just try to acknowledge that there are probably students in the classroom who are more conservative than I am. It's not really hard to be more conservative than I am, but really being careful to acknowledge that my political beliefs, and I will say this explicitly to my students, that if my political beliefs bleed through in a lecture or a discussion, that those are my beliefs, and that I'm not expecting students to share them with me. So I hope that just by explicitly acknowledging that we all come in with our own beliefs and that mine are not necessarily right, that that helps students who don't agree with me maybe feel like it's okay to say that versus sit there quietly in the classroom. Yeah, and it creates and fosters an environment and a discussion in which these differences can be thought about critically and in a respectful way. That is absolutely my hope. Ashley, did you want to weigh in on this one? Yes, it's such a great question to think about how these findings affect us as instructors, which is really where this topic 
started for us. As I've thought about this, I think there are three main ways that I find these findings affect who I am and how I think about my teaching. First, it's made me think a lot about undergraduate education and what a pivotal time this is in the development of young adults. For many of our students, this is the first time they're away from home, away from their families and communities, and might be the first time they're exposed to some ideas that could be challenging or could broaden their perspectives, or where they need to articulate their own perspective to have a deep and critical dialogue in the classroom. And so it's such an important time time to be able to create those spaces and hold the tensions that inevitably will come up in the classroom. So that's one way. Another way is in thinking about my own marginalized identities. I know that I teach the best and learn the best when I can bring my full and authentic self to the classroom. So I think a lot about our conservative students and what will help them bring their full selves to the classroom so that they are seen and have a voice and can learn because that's really the goal of what we're doing. And so thinking about how do I create spaces where students can bring their diverse religious and political ideologies forward is important. And then finally, I just always come back to teaching as a political act. We are not a values neutral profession and we are socializing our students to advance social justice. And I think a lot about how there's no one right way to do this. And we can learn a lot from each other about the different ways we can go about advocating for marginalized populations and the different groups that we will reach once we're out in the field. And so if I can keep that social justice perspective at the forefront, it makes for better teaching and better learning. So I'll now put myself on the spot. Since I've been thinking about our discussion today, obviously I've tried to think about how it turns myself back onto myself. And what I was thinking about is that I often find myself inviting students to be vulnerable and transparent as they think things through. And it has caused this discussion and these ideas have really made it paramount that I need to be vulnerable and transparent as the instructor. And that whole modeling piece that you spoke about earlier, and really just creating that kind of atmosphere where we're kind of all in this together, trying to find the way forward. So I wanted to just thank you both for doing the podcast. My hunch is, and my hope is much like what I think you've already learned, is that just putting this out there is going to make the discussion go further. And I know one of the practical things I can do is take this podcast and the link to it and put it as one of the required readings for one of my foundational year courses in an MSW program. So I wanted to thank you for sharing your work with us. It was nice to get to know you and your work a little bit. Thanks. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Dr. Ashley Davis and Dr. Rebecca G. Myrick's discussion on students' experiences and perceptions of microaggressions within the classroom. I'm Luann Back. Please join us again at In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our online and on-the-ground degree in continuing education programs, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. And while you're there, 
check out our Technology and Social Work Resource Center. You'll find it under the Community Resources menu.